It is a huge, huge blessing for us to have John Kellogg with us today. Uh, he's going to be sharing about Break the Cycle Global, but more than that, he's going to be sharing a word for, uh, that God has been stirring in his heart for us, the body, and it's very much what God is doing here and in Africa, so I'm really, really excited about that. So I want you to give it up for Mr. John Kellogg. Mm-hmm. Let's honor him as he comes. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Had to mess with my friend Diana. You know, I was stopped at a coffee shop on the way, and uh, there was this guy in front that was dressed real fastidiously. You got that one, Ben? Had his, like, waxed mustache and uh, bow tie, and, and he said, they asked for the name, and he said, uh, it's, it's Mark with a C. So then I gave my order, and... And I'm waiting, and he took off. I think he had to go to the restroom, and so the girl comes over. Thanks, Todd. And she says, uh, Kark, got a drink for Kark? And I said, no, no, he said Mark with us. I know, Kark, Kark? It's like, okay. Wasn't sure if that was too much caffeine or too little for her, but. Really honored to be here today, and I'm sincere when I say that. It's a... Uh, it's sweet to be with family, you know, it's almost like a reunion for me and, and Jan. Jan in the back, wave everybody, yay. Uh, and there's just, and, and sort of similar to a family reunion where maybe you haven't seen people for a while, there is just too much to do in a, in a, in a time frame that's probably acceptable to everybody. So I'm going to move s- somewhat quickly and I'm, and I'm going to kind of do the light version of, of something. And then uh, one of the thing, things the Lord is doing is that in this, uh, in this word that's, that I'll be sharing is it's coming into a book format and into a curriculum um, for the school system in Africa, but also for here to be available too. I've had the opportunity to share for about eight weeks, about, well, literally 10 hours of teaching um, and covered... Uh, probably half of what I'm going to try to cover all of today in in 30 or 40 minutes. So I did want to say, really, being here is an honor in many ways. One, over these last few years, it's really become alive to me, Tim, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm standing before a group of immortals. Like, that's a sobering thought, like... You are beings that are going to live forever. You'll never die. And, it's, and that's part of what challenges me in the work that we do in Africa. And the work that we do here is the people we rub shoulders with every day. Every one of them is never going to die. They're going to live forever. So the opportunity is for the short time we have, you know, you take forever. A hundred years on the earth is nothing, you know. And I know some of you are getting a little gray in your beards like myself and, and realizing, man, one of the challenges uh, is that the, the more years you have, the quicker they go. And, you know, I remember being a kid in school like, this day will never end. If I could just get to the break time, you know, and then now it's like, what happened to last week? You know, you just, they're leaving you a week at a time. So 
I just encourage you that as you look at people, a fun, a fun way to have that communication is to say, are you immortal? And most people go, duh, I'm going to die. You say, okay, well, what happens then? Well, we live in the South, right? Everybody's going to heaven, right? I mean, that's just how it works, I think. But they say, well, I'm going to heaven. Oh, okay, well, we'll deal with that later. But how long do you plan to be there? Forever. And then they start looking like, hmm, did I just say that? So the reality is that's one way to get people to actually think about forever is as they start looking at themselves as, an immortal, as somebody that will live forever. Um, then that may open up an opportunity to say, well, wow, if you're going to live forever, how does that work out? Like, why do you think you're going to heaven or not? One of the groups that I work with in, uh, in Africa is a Samburu tribe. And I found out, uh, I shared what I just said with you, with uh, the, the gentleman, the missionary, he's from Ireland, he's got a real cool accent, and he lives up, and they've been 25 years up in the desert, I'm in just absolutely nowhere. It takes, they're 73 miles from where our location is, and it takes six and a half hours to get there. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting area that we're in. But he said, now, John, I do need to tell you, well, I had shared that with him, and he got all excited. He said, man, that's amazing. Would you share that with the guys? Well, they have a tea break, and, and he has a mechanic shop. He's teaching the locals a trade. And so we're in this building, there's no floor in it, and all the guys are squatting down and drinking their chai. And so I squatted down and, and started putting dirt together and just went through, through creation, how that happened. The thing that he told me right before I shared with them, and we'll get into that in a minute, but the thing he shared with me right before is, oh, they don't believe that they live forever. Like, once you turn to dirt, that's it. Okay, note self. You know, we have to back up a step and talk, well, what's the difference between you? And they're shepherds. So what's the difference between you and your camels and goats and sheep and cows? Anyway, I'm already getting off track. But I, um, I, I wanted to also really uh, honor Todd. I've, I've had the honor of knowing Todd for some years now. And it's been a, a, a sweet relationship. And you just need to know from somebody that isn't... isn't that's had a chance to be outside for a while and then, to, and then to continue to relate with Todd, that his heart as a pastor is, I, I have not met a better. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that, uh, it's, that's not a word of perfection. That's a word of somebody who's transparent, who's saying, hey, I need to, like, man, I'm just, I want to know more. I want to I serve better in that role. And that's what you, that, that's a heart of a pastor that he's looking out for his folks and that he's learning and continuing to press in the Lord. So I just, I honor you, Todd. Um, yeah. Amen. Amen. Honor is a good thing. Amen. You have destiny. You have purpose. You are a unique expression that the earth is groaning to see revealed. You have destiny. You have purpose. You are a unique expression that the world is groaning to see revealed. There's something in you that wants to lean into that, right? Don't you feel a little something like, yes, I have, 
I have purpose. I have destiny. Like, yeah. Okay, the unique expression I kind of maybe exhibit more than you should. <laughs> right, Ben? But we are unique expressions. But here's the next thing that happens. All of a sudden, inside, somebody grabs you by the arm and starts walking you down the hall of pain to the wall of shame. And you look up and they, and, and they remind you, hey, check this out though. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember the time that you struck your wife? Or do you remember the time that, that you said something unkind? Or do you remember the time that you were abused? You were abused emotionally or sexually, physically, like those things that happen to you that start shaping who we are in the way that we perceive things. So you know what happens? When I say you have destiny, a game of charades starts happening. And that word destiny starts flowing through the filters of all this experience that we've had in our lives. And by the time it gets back to us again, our shoulders kind of slump and we go, well, okay. I got destiny. I'm going to heaven. No, heaven is a destination of which I don't think many of you have really thought through what that might be. Like, what is heaven? Like, what do you think that is? Really? On a day-to-day basis? Like, on a, is it just uh, this, are we just floating, little fat, floaty harps in the clouds kind of a thing? Is that like what the deal is? Well, if not, what is it? So, to back up and introduce myself, a little water real quick. Most of you know me, but my name is John Kellogg. My dad was here for years as well, and you knew him. His name is John Kellogg. And... Um, <clears throat> He passed away, um, went to be with the Lord about um, four and a half years ago in March. Uh, it'll be five. And when he passed away, he had been uh, working in a ministry. Well, he'd been in ministry all his life. But particularly, he had, he had known when he was 42, there was a word that he would be going to Africa. It took 30 years, and he went when he was first 72 years old. Um, and then began ministering. The, t- the ministry that he was involved in really was traveling into remote areas of the country of Kenya, primarily East Africa, uh, which is greater than Kenya, but a lot of it was in the Kenya area. And he would minister to pastors and, um, and spiritual leaders, and they would come from miles around, and again, they were real remote areas. So there's a big need, and a lot happened. He was there for probably about 10 years, um, and in that time, to raise up leadership. At, at the time that he passed, the leadership of the ministry came to me and said, John, we either are going to have to dissolve the ministry now, or you need to step in as the director. Well, Jan and I had, had known that that was coming, but we thought it was more future and there would be some transition in planning. So uh, it didn't work that way, but we felt to move forward. I would say that the word that I want to share with you today and the work in Africa that's happened so far is in, uh, in big part due to, to you all, um, not only for the, the framing and the, and the work that happened in my life preparing me for that, 
but also financially the church from the very beginning has been um, a very strong part of the ministry and actually has stepped in a couple times when there was a real need. So for that, you know, thanks Todd, but thank you all for, for being a part. So what I'm sharing is really something that, it's something you've sowed into, and now there's, hopefully this will be a, a, a good fruit and a, and a good thing for you to hear. You know, the, the, uh, the challenge again is timing. So I'm going to move fairly quickly through something today. And the way I describe it as I, as I began uh, writing this is um, I, I kept finding, I'm, I'm known for rabbit trails. And I kind of live on rabbit trails and try to find the main trail once in a while just for bearing. But um, uh, I found that as I began sharing this, I'd, I'd start down and they'd be like, oh, but there needs to be, there's, there's footing that has to support what we're, what we're laying down. And it ended up like the word, you have destiny, you have purpose, you are a unique expression that the wor- world is groaning to be, have revealed and to hear. That's the foundation word. But there's tons of footings that support that. We, even, we spoke of some of those things today, even in the time of worship. But I think um, wh- where this word came out of is I began to travel to Africa. We have a, um, now a school in a slum in Nairobi that has about 100 children. We have a school in Uganda that has 100 or so children. And then there's two other areas where the Lord said that he wanted us to, um, to establish schools. The reason for the schools was, as I began to travel there and say, Lord, what would you have us do now? He said, I want you to go to these four locations, and I want to change the culture in these locations from a a culture of poverty, both spiritually, physically, and every way, to a kingdom of God culture. Not a Western culture, but a kingdom of God culture. So I'm like, okay, cool, that's awesome. How do you do that? And he said, well... You need to breathe destiny and purpose into the three to five year olds. Because in 15 years, they're going to be 18 to 20 year olds. And they'll change the culture from the inside out. Oh, okay. The thing you find out as you travel in Africa is you can travel uh, tribes that even border each other have very different cultures. Uh, something that is very acceptable. Okay, I grew up in Hawaii. I like kind of a relaxed lifestyle, dress-wise. So they wear sheets. So you've seen lava lavas in Hawaii, you know, or in the beach. So the men wear those up in, the, in Samburu, the shepherds. So I had my sheet and was digging it because I, it's, you know. And, uh, and my staff, well, I moved down into another tribe that we're, where we're working called the Lua, and the Lua tribe are known by the sign of a fish because they live on Lake Victoria, and they're fishermen. So uh, I was like, asked my friend, I said, well, I wanted to wear my sheet, but I don't see anybody else with one. And he goes, no, you don't want to do that here. I said, well, why? It's like, well, in our culture, if you were wearing a sheet, you were just circumcised. <laughs> okay. And if you wear it more than a few days, it means you ain't healing. And I'm like, got it. I'll put the sheet away. 
But that's just an example of how different the cultures, and I'm talking about within hours of each other, completely different. So for me as a white Western guy, right, to blow into town and think that I'm not going to trample all over a culture trying to share a gospel is stupid. And we do it all the time. I will tell you that brothers in Kenya who minister uh, in, throughout just Kenya, that's one country, will not go into another tribe without somebody from that tribe with them and helping them as they minister because they, he, they know. It's just we can't do that. So, so the Lord said, um, if you breathe life into these three to five-year-olds, then in 15, to 18, in 15 years, they'll be your 18 to 20-year-olds. They know their culture. They're from that area, and they can speak into that culture and into that place in a way that I can't. Uh, I can, but can do it through them, right? Does that make sense? So, he said, so I'm like, well, that's a great idea. How do you do that? We'll start a school. I'm not an educator, as Abby and is, but, but I understood the concept. And then through the time of ministry there, really discovered that, wow, as we put a school together, all of a sudden 150 kids from the bush come in and they're in one place. Well, now what happens? Well, the government is able to give medical attention to kids that are in one place. They can't run through the, through the bush trying to find all these kids, but once we started the school... All of a sudden, we could provide them their first medical attention. We began to feed them. Most of these are orphans. The area that we have our school in Uganda, it's kind of the epicenter of AIDS, HIV AIDS. And so um, you just can't imagine the amount of orphans. It's kind of the norm is to be an orphan. And then there's true orphans and orphans. So true, true orphan means you don't have anybody, but there's tons of orphans, which they may have the mother of the of the par their parents. They may live with the... Oh, oh, and she's a widow and just barely making it. In the slum, the last time I was there... Boy, this is going to be really hard. Um, in the slum, the last time I was there, this little girl looked up at me and she was crying. It was, it was close to lunchtime and she asked me for a piece of candy. Now, one thing that happens when you um, travel... In, when you're in a third in third world countries ministering is there's a lot of this. I'm a I'm a white ATM, and it's unfortunate. And the and the sad thing is I'm a white ATM because guess what we've been a white ATM. I mean people respond to what you know what what you've taught them. So it's a learned behavior. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the other side of that is it's a whole lot easier to give somebody money and have them go away than it is to really live with them and encourage them and teach them and train them and, and raise them up to be able to stand. It's a lot easier for us to just write a check and, and, and give it or try to make it go away. So we've, we've suffered that in our, own account, in our own culture, and we've done the same thing in, in Africa. Anyway, this little girl. So inside of me, I have to say, I, I was a little, there was a little tinge of frustration when she did that asked me for a little piece of, for a piece of candy but then once again this happens all the time i got crushed because what i found out is the reason she asked me for a piece of candy is in the slum many times when it's time to eat dinner 
the parent just gives them a piece of candy. That's pretty rough, you know? Give them a sweet. You don't, either you don't have money or you used it for drugs or you used it for... I mean, let me tell you, the slums are nasty. It's a nasty place. And we have a little pocket of light in the middle of this darkness. It is so amazing. You walk up the trail, there's sewage, there's ditches that run down the middle where you, you walk and they have sewage and all kinds of stuff in it. And, uh, but you get to our little classroom and it's just this place of light in the middle of darkness. And that's the concept, was to raise up light bearers. Raise up those that, in those dark places... In 15 years, you know, and it's not, you don't have to wait that long, but that along the way, what we're developing is the future leadership. So, part of that became an awareness that, why the three to five-year-olds? Well, the three to five-year-olds don't have a wall of shame yet. It's a, it, they, they, they still have, the soil of their soul is still fallow. I spent two weeks when I was doing this teaching in the last few months. The first two weeks were about tilling the toil of your soul. Tilling the soil of your soul. There we go. Tilling the soil of your soul. Like we, because of things that happened to us, some of them before we were believers, a lot of it after we were believers, things that we heard or that we assumed or that we kind of thought was true, and we keep walking over those areas, and as things happen, our response becomes sort of automatic, and it ends up being that learned muscle memory where we just kind of go, and, yeah. and so that creates these really hard areas, and then if you've ever been out, out west, and this is true in the desert where I work in Africa as well, when it rains real hard and hits that packed soil, it just runs into what you call in the west uh, an arroyo. It's just a dry riverbed, and the water runs off. Well, did the water come? Yeah. Did it help? No. Because the soil wasn't broken up to receive it. So I could spend two weeks talking with you guys and going through a whole process of how do you do that? Like, how do we, how do, we do that? And, and what I want you to walk away with today on some level, because this is just going to be very cliff notish, is... Too many times we're trying to be Christians. If we would train ourselves to understand the principles and the way to understand who we are, then we can truly function as a human being instead of a human doing or a human trying. So there are things that we can learn. That's encouraging to me. Like it's not just left up to like, Something's got to hit me in the service, or I got to shake or look a certain way, or I got to do something. It's no, this is something that we have learned. The control point in you as a being is your mind. And we have tried, we have done, we have done such a good job of doing such a terrible thing, and that has been to separate the spiritual from the physical. Man has done that. That, I'm telling you, is an area that you need to till up in your soul. I have to. Yeah. And this isn't a one-time deal. What I'm describing to you is a process. Yeah. I want to challenge you. 
please don't raise your hands. You'll embarrass yourself. So if you do, it's your own fault. How many of you in the next three minutes could write down on a piece of paper your destiny and your purpose? Really? I mean, that's the reason you're living. But how many of us has life just gotten to be? You know, when you're three to five year olds, it's all being done to you. But then we get a little older and this happens and that happens and this happens. And then we just, it becomes a slugfest. You're just trying to get through each day. You may have kids and it's like, oh my gosh, it's just like, it's all about, if you could ever take a breath, right? With school, oh my gosh, you just have no idea. Like I've got exams and I've got this pressure going on and, and, and I don't understand this. I'm trying to figure that out. Then you get married, you know, and you're like, what? You know, <laughs> this is not what I was thinking it was supposed to be. What happened? And then, then I started with kids. Then you have kids. Then the kids are gone and it's like, what do we do? We have a ton of people my age that have been through all that process they're looking towards retirement, and they're lost. I did the doing. Like, I just slugged it out. I even did it. I wasn't a bad person, not real bad. You know, and I, and I went to church, and I gave money, and I... Well, no destiny. No purpose. It's all been about the what are we doing. So I'm going to skip into that word real quick. You have destiny, you have purpose, and you are a unique expression that the world is groaning to see revealed. What is the world groaning? Here's something that's really, um, that's been working in me these last years. You go work in a third world country, and all of a sudden your nice little sayings better really mean something. You know, you start talking about, oh, son of God, or, you know, this, or kingdom, or, you know, what. Dude, when you've got a little girl that's going, can I have a piece of candy? Because, like, I haven't eaten since yesterday, since I had the last meal at the school, and I'm really hungry, you know. What is her future? Like, how can I look at those kids and say, how do I breathe into them destiny and purpose if I can't, if I go, well, dang. What does that look like in a slum? Oh, does it mean that, oh, you start serving Jesus, and trust me, this is a big word in Africa, and you can send a lot of money to certain people that will go to a mountain and pray, so this will happen, that you'll get your Mercedes, and you'll live, you'll move up to the east side, or west side, whatever, some side, you'll get, you'll get yours. Why does that sound familiar? It's starting to sound like the western consumer gospel. It doesn't float in a slum. It doesn't float up in Samburu where people right now, there's a famine going on. There's been a drought for three years. There's shepherds. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing left to graze. The animals are dying. You go down the road and you just smell the stench. And it's not just their animals. It's the elephants and the giraffes. Um, this last trip when I was there, just uh, in this summer, it's kind of interesting when you wake up in the morning. So I have to go to... I, I have to take a leak at night. So I get up and go to the edge of camp and take a leak. There's no toilets. There's no running water. There's no power. This is just out in the bush. 
And uh, the next morning you find out that, oh, by the way, that leopard tried to visit us again last night. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and, and you see the paw prints are bigger than my hand prints, and they say, oh, yeah, he's bigger than you are. He killed our four of our guard dogs and two goats. I'm like, well, that would have been nice to know before I went out to the edge of camp took a leak last <laughs> night. <laughs> I wouldn't have had to take a leak if I'd have known that. I'd have been fine. So, you know, these people are dealing with a whole different level. A guy was just killed last week with bow and arrows. I mean, it's really like the Wild West. They're cattle rustlers. I told you they're shepherds. So the issues we deal with in that area are, oh, snap, our 300 head of cattle are gone. Where are they? So then they all chase after them and throw bow and arrows and spears and use swords. I carry a sword when I'm there. You're out in the bush. You've got to have something. So how in the world... Does this message, does this gospel, does this consumer gospel, how do you deal with it there? You don't. And so what the Lord has done is helped to me to reconstruct what is the real gospel. And it's exciting. You have destiny. You have purpose. And you are a unique expression that the world is groaning to have revealed. All right, so let's say what it's not, because uh, I'm going to have to scoot through this again within the next short, hopefully, period of time. Todd will have information, and I'll have this in a way that you can digest it better, and it'll have all of the scripture and some worksheets. It's been a lot of fun putting it together, because at the end of the day, the point of this is I knew that I had to write a curriculum for this. Like, how do you breathe destiny and purpose? Well, one was you start schools, you begin to, okay, great, we're doing that. And we have uh, opportunities where they meet together and do chapel. And, 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 you know, once you start doing that, all of a sudden the parents are coming. I'm, I mean, it's been amazing. Since we started bringing the kids together, all of a sudden now we're having influence into the families, into the communities. Whereas if you just try to go in on the community level, it just there, there's resistance. The elders, it's different than what they're used to. The chief and elders are... But boy, you start taking care of the children, and now you have an invitation into a community, which is a whole nother um, topic. But what I realized is we have the school established, two of them. The other two we want to establish this next year. Um, and, uh, but, and, and, and we're using a Montessori method. It's amazing. All this great stuff's going on. Again, I could talk for hours about it, but what I realized is the Lord really challenged me that there needs to be a curriculum for the destiny and purpose so that every school is getting the same message from the administrator down to the three to five-year-old, and then you keep reinforcing it every year so that you know. Because if at the end of 15 years we just have a bunch of educated Africans in the slum, that, I mean, I guess that's nice, but that wasn't what he called us to do. That's just a means to getting to developing them so they can become leaders and people of influence because they are educated. But more than that, they know I have a destiny. I have a purpose. And I am a unique expression. So, what it is not is a destination. We have so abused the scripture and watered down and diluted the gospel that it's turned out to be this, Jesus saves. Is that true? That's true. That is not the gospel. It is a very small part of the gospel. 
And the reality is, we use the Scripture. What's probably the most used Scripture about that? Hello, which says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but get saved and go to heaven. Really? That's how we sell it. I mean, say it. You don't want to go to hell. You need to go to heaven. Why? Hell's bad. Heaven's better. Great. I'm in. Okay, how do I do it? You just, everybody close your eyes. Now slip your hand up and slip it down real quick. You're in. Like we feel compelled that God, just like in our churches, you, Todd doesn't have it, but I know you all have been in a church somewhere along the way and you got the wooden board up there and it says the attendance last week and, the, and it's just like there's one right at the door and Peter's there going, oh snap, come on somebody because God's going to be looking pretty quick. We need another 10,000. What can we do? Let's just dumb it down. Let's like just make it, slip your hand up, slip it down, you're in. Whew, we got another 1,000. It's like, what is that? And I hate to beat it up so bad because there is truth in it but it is not the truth. And since that's what we've been sold, we wonder why we stumble around day by day frustrated. We wonder why everybody's leaving, not everybody, why so many people are leaving the church in America. Why the, te- you know, the teeth, there's just no teeth left. And it's because I believe we've not shared the real gospel. So, the unique expression What it is not is a destination, heaven. What it is, I believe, is your unique expression is made up of your gifts, your talents, your education, your experience, your season in life. I hate that term, but it's true. We all have different seasons in our life. All those things together make you who you are today, right now, in the chair where you're sitting. Most of us spend our lives, I spent a ton of time and energy going, but God, what do you want me to be when I grow up? And I still ask that. What do you want me to be when I grow up? I'm 59 years old, right? And you can just be like, what is it? And I'm missing, I don't want to miss that. Because I want to be that thing that he wants me to be. I, pr- I just guarantee you that if Jesus Christ, if you could see him right here beside me, and I said, what about Cameron, Lord? Like, as a unique expression, if he was doing exactly what you wanted him to do, if he pushed the I'm all in 100% button, well, let's talk about that one for a minute. I literally, in the past couple months, have had people that I respect. They are very articulate. They're professionals. They're upstanding citizens. They're Christians. And have said, John, when I get to that 100% button, I just can't push it. I'm like, well, what, what, what do you mean? Well, I'm afraid if I push it, the next thing's going to be, okay, sell everything, pack your bags, you're going to Africa. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, where? Let me punch it. I'm in. Like, that's a great button to press. The point out of that is, 
most of us live with this fear that if I really go all in, God's going to either make me do something ridiculous, something I hate. It certainly can't be what I enjoy. It can't be something that really I get excited about or that gives me any kind of pleasure. Really? That's not godly, is it? It is. That's why you have the. Who gave you those gifts? Mama and daddy? No, it's God. The experiences you've had, all of them, the ones you would call good, excuse me, good and bad, they've shaped you to be who you are. That's why you're unique. Todd calls me Unicue. Like, I'm unique with a capital U. I'm sorry, but seriously, we're all unique. And that's awesome. Because that makes you able to be his expression in a place that I can't. And so I'll do a quick jump into, so what did Jesus do after he was done here on the earth? He said, Tag, you're it. Right? You remember his prayer? It wasn't, Lord, I pray that you all take them out of the world. It's, Tag, you're it. Guess what? You're going to go to places that I can't go. And I share this in Africa because it's like, Ooh, the big white missionary. You know, it's like, do you realize that I'll never go to the marketplace that you go? I can't take the light. I can't take what's been put in me and put it there. I can encourage you so that that message is alive in you, but you're a unique expression in the slum. So you can go, really, in a slum? Yes. That's their unique expression. That's part of the circumstance that happens. So your unique expression, that's the thing we focus on. And so when I said, you have destiny, you have purpose, can you write those down? I bet most of you, your mind was scrambling for, what am I supposed to be? Like, I, don't, I think I am. I think I'm supposed to be doing this. But if I was really doing God's work, I'd be like John and go to Africa. Wrong. I'd be like Todd and be a pastor. Wrong. What is the earth groaning for? The pastors of God? Is it growing for the bishops of God or the missionaries of God? It's growing for the sons of God. So, people go, but John, how do I know? I'm like, take a breath. Relax. What are your gifts? You don't really, you don't know what you're good? Well, okay, if you put it that way, I kind of do. But, but we're talking spiritual stuff. No, we're talking spiritual and practical. They're one. Don't divide it. God didn't. Who put you in the body? God. And did he say it was good? Yeah. So he's like excited about what he's created. And we're like, that's horrible. That's flesh. And one day I'll be released from my flesh. This is what the Greeks believe. I'll be released from my flesh and then it's all good. Like once I can shed this nasty, horrible thing. And we use the term flesh in a very negative way. Like how many of you have used that positively? You can raise it. See, no. Okay. I'm serious. Like this is part of where I'm saying there's, there's soil in our souls that's just packed down 
And we don't even realize it. We don't realize what we have done by making flesh so ugly that then anything related to flesh like what I do practically has, could have any merit or could be godly. So, the expression is the part that is the easiest part because I say to you, if you'll press that 100% button, it might even be that that just releases you to even move into a different expression just because you finally relaxed and said, okay, Lord, I'm all in. Yeah. I will, it will not be something you hate. Be, I promise you, he's not that kind of God. So good. That's good. But he is looking for all inners. Is that a word? Is there a hyphen there or anything I need to know about? That's his heart, man. He loves you. Why would he do something horrible to you? And who are you to resist anyway? I'm sorry, but I need to add that. This is God we're talking about, your creator, right? You're the mud. Okay, we'll say clay. It sounds better. You're the clay. He's the potter. But I just challenge you. We play these games. Look, I'm to, I, I know some of you are thinking that. I just do. And I respect all of you all. That's what I'm saying. These, I heard this from people that I respect. So let's go to this real quickly. And I hate doing it this way because... The challenge with this message, if it's not crafted or, or shared correctly, it ends up sounding spiritual. And so I'm afraid that we just write it off with, oh, that's spiritual. What I beg for you to do is either today, as I have time to sort of unpack a little of it, to get it to practical, um, that, that you hear me out, and then that... that as I, as I have this available in the future that you kind of, po if, it, if it stirs, like today I'm just wanting to stir you up a little bit so there's enough interest to pursue it when there's really time. But I want to go to, I want to go to the, what I see as the gospel. And then right at the very end I'll say what I'll help you with destiny and purpose. So when I started asking the Lord, well, what, what is the gospel then? He took me to Genesis. That's pretty cool. He said, okay, we got John 3.16. You know that one. Let's go to Genesis. Oh, okay. And he said, let's look at creation. Okay. Well, what happened? Well, okay, let's go back to Luke. Okay, Bible drill. So we go back to Luke, and at the end of Luke, chapter 3, I think is where the genealogy is, it says, Adam, son of God. So in the beginning, what happens? Well, God says, he's made all this cool stuff, and he says, uh, he and Jesus and the Spirit are talking, and they're like, why don't, why don't we make something in our own image? Oh, okay. Well, let, let's make something after, let's make a creature in our image and in our likeness. Now, do you hear what I just said? If you were to make a creature that was in your image, Tim, and in your likeness, what would it look like? That's why I asked Tim. You're the man. Yeah, I can't exhaustive list. We don't have the time, but I'm with you. We're, we're tracking. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us 
make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then what did he do? Got down in the dirt, pushed some dirt together. And this is what I tell the Samburu. This is why you're different. Like he created your animals. But then, and I'm kneeling down in the dirt and I pull the dirt together and I pick my hands up and then I go, and he did this. And they're kind of like, I said, that's what makes you different. He breathed his life, his spirit into you. And man was made in the image and the likeness of God. Okay, guess who I'm talking about? You. 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 What are we? We're human beings. That didn't change. When they left the garden, they were humans in the garden. They were human beings when they went out of the garden. An interesting thing is when you become a Christian, whatever you looked like before you were, you look like the second later. God created a human being. Think of the... I mean, that's a pretty elevated being. Not in our minds. We think of a flesh. We think of a... We think of all the corruption we hear now. What does the earth groaning sound like? Let's get real practical. Anybody seen a headline lately? Yeah, earth groanings can sound like rumblings and an earthquake and buildings falling and people screaming and people dying and people being hurt and people... It can sound like that. It can also sound like all kinds of sexual stuff being exposed. That's groaning. Do you not think anybody that's involved in that kind of a sin is groaning? Do you know what's interesting is God created a human being in His image and in His likeness, and that's you. If that doesn't bring some dignity and some sense of, wow, like, that's pretty heavy. I'm actually in His likeness and image. I would encourage you to start asking the Holy Spirit who is sent to teach us these things to break up the fallow ground in your head that says human beings are just like... Like, what we do is try to get saved. So we're not sinners. But we have this nasty concept of ourselves. And if we have that nasty concept of ourselves, how do we look at each other? After the flesh. What does Paul say about that? So I want to encourage you. You're an amazing being. Christian or not. Now what happened in the garden? All right. Well, part of what God made you in His image and likeness was you had choice. Man had choice. Our father, who was a son of God, He had no father or mother. God made him. Now, let me quickly say, he is not the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come. He was a created being in the garden. But his father was God. And he called him son. 
And he's like, hey, son. I could see Tim doing this. Hey, son, come here. Check out all these animals and stuff I made. Why don't you name them? Like, I want you to have dominion over all this that I did that I just spent, I'm so excited about. Like, don't you think it's awesome? Yeah, good. Look at this one. I took it and I just went, you see, that's called a giraffe, right? <laughs> and this one's a horse, you know? Like, this one, I just took his nose and went, that's a Nephilim or an elephant. So, why don't you name these animals? In fact, why don't you have dominion? That's a kingdom word, isn't it? The garden was his kingdom. And he asked for man to rule. What did God do to create the earth? He brought order out of chaos. Right? What do you do every day when you get up? I'm not talking about the first thing, Tim. I'm talking about like through the day. Christian or not, human beings were made in the image and the likeness of God, and their natural tendency is in some way to bring order. You may be an accountant. Well, how do I bring? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm the sales guy. I got to have an accountant. I can't do I can't bring that. What about a garbage man? Have you been to Africa? Garbage men are awesome. They bring, like, I've seen it where it's chaos. Now, I had somebody that freaked out on me when I said this. Like, I don't want to do that. This person's very OCD. And, and here's an interesting story. She's, uh, this person was raised in an alcoholic. Uh, her father was an alcoholic. Horrible situation. And what it ended up doing was driving her into her bedroom. Now, this is the real gospel. This is like, this matters. She drove her, drove her into her bedroom because that was the only place there was sanity and she could make order out of her chaos. And so she became OCD and she became everything had to have its place in that bedroom. And now her world is, she's a scientist and she, it's all about the Milla, whatever, just like, I mean, she's gone like, all right. And it just drove her, it, 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 it brought up something in her that I have to bring order out of chaos. And I think that's interesting, and I'm not completely sure how to deal with that, except God loves you, man. He, he, this person is like, the most adventure I want to have is, is, is to walk around the block with my hus- holding my husband's hand. Okay, then maybe that's what it looks like for you. And maybe you're holding the hand of your father as well. Maybe your heavenly father, if not the earthly, but, I mean, it doesn't have to look like John, when I go over and I have leopards coming in my camp or elephants trying to attack me at night, like, doesn't have, like, that's not everybody's thing. But isn't it an interesting thought that most of us are involved in something that's bringing some sort of order? Maybe a mom with kids, maybe a teacher, maybe a, I mean, I, I, I just, when I started thinking about this a few months ago, it just blew my mind. I started now. Are there people that are trying to bring chaos? Yes, and they've submitted themselves intentionally into that type of activity. But it just surprised me that it wasn't a Christian thing necessarily. That it's a, it's a human being thing, right? So what happens? Man makes a choice, the wrong choice, and then is sent out of the garden. There's a curse that happens. If it was fair, man would have been cursed. But what else got cursed? All of creation. What, what is that about? 
Like, what did, the, what did creation do wrong? I don't know, but they got cursed too. So here you have the Son of God. God creates a son, and that son makes a choice. He and Eve together made the choice. God says, okay, because of this choice, you are now cursed. You're going to turn. You came, I brought you up from dust. You're going to turn back to dust. And there were some other things. And then, oh, by the way, creation is cursed. Why do you think creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God? So what happens? Well, we leave God, and really I feel like the choice, I describe it, the choice in the garden was one of religion over relationship. We chose knowledge over relationship. We knew we wanted to be like God, so we went after it. And we've continued to do that. Look at the children of Israel, right? That's his people. That's like the ones that said, okay, we're going to be separate people. Well, how does that look? Well, Moses, you go to the mountain, you talk to God, I call it the Moses complex. And then you come back and tell us what we're supposed to do and we'll do it. But you go to the mountain and talk to God. We don't, we're afraid of that. We don't want to deal with that. What does church look like, for the most part, in America at least? Yeah. Pastor, you go to the mountain, you talk to God, you come back on Sunday and tell us what he said, because we'll do what it is we're supposed to do, but relationship we don't really want to have to touch that we're busy we're building families we're creating families building businesses we're doing but we send the pastor now that works there's two sides of that as well right there's pastors that have made it and and i have to speak against this in africa because there's a whole a whole way of manipulating people to feel like they have to have the pastor touch them every sunday and speak to them every Sunday, and they get saved every Sunday. Well, what does that do? Well, it empowers the pastor. He becomes the God. But that's a position. There's money. There's influence. There's power, whatever. What's the other side of it? People that are saying, I don't want to have to deal with God. I'll just deal with my pastor every, every week. I'll, I'll, if, even if I have to sort of submit or look go low, you know, but I'd rather do that than really have a relationship with God because I got my stuff going on. So there's two sides to that coin. There's the side from a pastor's standpoint and there's the side from a people's standpoint. So that's happened. Then they said, we want to have a king. And God says, no, I'm your king. Like, I don't get it. Like, I want to be your king. And they're like, no, all the other countries have kings. We want to have a king just like them. And if you were familiar in the Old Testament, we don't have time to read all those scriptures, but you can look and there's chapter after chapter where God says, but you understand if you choose a king, it's going to look like this and this and this, and you're going to have to give up this and you're going to have to give up this and all this stuff. And they said, we get it. We still want it. We'd rather do all of that than to have a relationship with you. So man from the very beginning is just keep stiff arming God all along the way. So much so that you get to the New Testament. The only Son of God that was and is and is to come is sent to earth. Now here's what's interesting. He chooses to come to earth and jump into an earth suit. Like us. Like that which He created. Why? 
Because it was in His image and likeness. And because of that, we should be able to look and see the Son of God and the Son of Man together was Him functioning as a human. Now all of a sudden that should change the way that we look at ourselves. In fact, I'll skip ahead real quick and say, what happens in the end? This body does turn back to dust for those that are believers. The next thing that happens is, like Jesus, we receive a glorified body. Do you see what I'm saying? The human being was an awesome thing. Like he created it and it was awesome. The fact that we made the wrong choice along the way didn't mean that all human beings are bad or that the peace that we see on the earth is a disaster completely. It's just misdirected. And now it's full of death instead of life. But what happens when John 3.16 becomes a part of our world? It didn't say... What it does say is this, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have restored to Him what He lost when He left the garden, which was everlasting life. That's the piece that's missing. That's what makes humans, humankind as a group just floundering all over the world, doing all kinds of stuff, trying to find fulfillment, but struggling because they're not, unless they seek it in Jesus, that everlasting life piece is not restored. But what I want to say to you is, oh man, it's late. Once that's restored, now you are as Adam was in the garden. We're very powerful creatures that were created with a destiny and a purpose to fulfill on the earth. So I will tell you, your destiny is to be a son of God. Every person on the planet's destiny is to be a son of God. You have to believe into that to become a son of God. Once you do become a son of God, your purpose, and if you read 2 Corinthians 5, I think it is where this is at, that it talks, that's where it goes into the whole messengers of reconciliation. So the gospel, as I see it, is that we were, we were out of the garden, cursed, and with eternal death. But through Jesus, I am now be able to be reconciled to God And in that reconciliation, I then become a messenger of reconciliation. And it's so easy. Well, what does that look like? Your unique expression. You carry that wherever you go, doing whatever you do. But there's a difference when you're doing whatever it is you do, your unique expression, if you're doing it intentionally with purpose. Do you see the difference? So instead of just being a garbage man, you're a garbage man that knows I'm a son of God and what I'm doing is bringing order out of chaos, but I'm also a messenger of reconciliation. What does that look like for me, Holy Spirit? And that's going to be different for you than it is for me, than it is for Todd, than it is for Tim, for every one of us. It's going to be different. 
Thank you. I'm, I, I, there's, is that exciting? I want you to, you know what I was going to do in the beginning, and I want you to do this when you go home because I've overrun my time. I was going to have you take your phones out and take a selfie. The book that I'm writing is God's Selfie, A Human Being. God's Selfie, A Human Being. I give you this challenge, the challenge I haven't done yet, I'm in the process, to look in the mirror for 30 days in your own eyeballs and say, I have destiny, I have purpose, I am a son of God. And not cringe. Okay, you can cringe. I won't throw that in there. But if you said that for 30 days, do you think that would begin breaking some, yes. some fallow ground? And you'd start going, man, that feels kind of awkward. But then you'd start, I tell you, the Holy Spirit will begin to make that real. And then we can continue bringing, that's what bringing the kingdom of God. That's why when you pray, say, may your kingdom come, and I'm going to do that. Lord, just thank you for this time. Thank you for these. Lord, that, that you made us human beings, Lord, that you were excited about that. Lord, I thank you that you made us, and you have us on, the, on your earth that you made, and that the earth is groaning for us to be revealed. So we look to you, Holy Spirit, Reveal to us what it looks like to be your son so that we can then be revealed here on the earth because our prayer is that your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives here on the earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.